Friends, before we begin, let me invite you to keep up with all the Tracks for the Journey resources by subscribing to the Tracks Express newsletter. Once a week, I send a wide range of helps for well-being directly to your inbox. The Express has inspiration and insights for spirituality, relationships, ecology, emotional health, and yes, recipes for good food. The easiest way to subscribe is on my website, www.tracksforthejourney.com. Thanks for listening today. Welcome to the Tracks for the Journey podcast. I'm Larry Payne, your guide on a path of personal growth in spirit, mind, and body. In this program, I'll be sharing ways to improve your well-being with practical insight and inspiration. We'll follow the tracks made by progressive Christian spirituality, psychology, culture, and science. I've walked this trail for years as a pastor, hospital chaplain, and licensed counselor. On this trail, there's so much for us to learn together. I invite you to lace up your hiking boots today as we explore tracks for your life journey. Conversations, declarations, debates, and memes about racial justice demand our attention today. You may have led some of these discussions, been involved in office conversations, or walk the other way when they came about. Today, I'd like to lift up my small voice through this episode entitled, The Matter of Black Lives. As my personal journey unfolds, it's been involved with racial issues, just like yours. I've always attended schools that were officially integrated. In 1955, just two years before I started kindergarten, the Joplin, Missouri School District followed the new ruling by the Supreme Court and the Eisenhower Civil Rights Act to adopt integration. Black high school students were given the option to move from the segregated Lincoln High School to Joplin High School. A few did so. No busing was ordered. According to my brief research, no community backlash or protests took place in this gradual process. Little did I know that the month I entered kindergarten in 1957, a city just five hours away, Little Rock, Arkansas, would explode with hate-filled and divisive conflict over the desegregation of Little Rock Central High. The racist governor, Orville Faubus, fought desegregation, and President Eisenhower ordered federal troops to protect the nine black high school students who entered for classes. In my region, Joplin followed the common desegregation process of those years, which required elementary students to attend their neighborhood school. Since I lived on the growing east side of town, far from the black community in North Joplin, I did not have a single black student in the classes I was assigned. Maybe a greater wisdom prevailed in this small Ozark city, or perhaps the minority population was just smaller and more feeble. By junior high and high school, my little Missouri town seemed to be doing okay racially from my teenage perspective. I played sports with many black athletes who stood with me in the wins and losses of each game. I do not remember my home church pastor ever preaching about racial equality, even in the burning summer of 1968, 
with a huge riot in Kansas City, Missouri, just 150 miles to the north. My parents, though raised in a time when injustice was the norm and blacks were segregated, seemed to respect everyone. My dad had several black employees in his construction business. Overall, my male, white, middle-class, privileged world just didn't put much importance on the issue. The systemic racism lay so embedded, I never saw it. Maybe that same myopia is exactly our issue today, isn't it? The history of American Christianity, at least for Caucasians, shows a near-universal failure to deal with racism. Slavery of vanquished people is as old as humanity, of course. In medieval times, this did begin to change slightly. France banned slavery in 1315. A few European nations tried the same as the centuries went by. It was British Christians who led the fight to ban slavery in the United Kingdom in 1833, and this, of course, included Canada as a part of the Commonwealth. The movement spread to the U.S. in the following years. Pennsylvania abolished slavery in 1780, and by 1804 all the states of the Northeast had done the same. The abolitionist movement had many Christians speaking out against slavery beginning in the 1830s, but in slaveholding states, Christian voices vigorously defended slavery. My ancestors were caught in this divided nation. My paternal great-grandfather was a slaveholder in Tennessee, but sided with the Union during the Civil War and lost his Tennessee farm. His son fought with a Union regiment that captured the Confederate vice president in the closing days of the war, but another paternal fourth great-grandfather fought with the Confederacy and spent a year in a Union POW camp. The denomination I grew up in as a child and served in as an adult started just before the Civil War with the express purpose of supporting the Southern racist agenda. I am certainly a product of a divided nation. The support for racist ideology and laws suppressing blacks continued in other forms for a century after the Civil War. White Christians were in the center of this, often fighting to keep blacks and people of color on the margins of society. When the civil rights movement swept across the nation in the late 1950s and 1960s, a majority of white pastors and priests were silent, and some were outspoken in defense of segregation. Martin Luther King Jr. was deemed by these a communist radical who planned the overthrow of America. When we turn to the message of Jesus, though, we find a message universally recognized as revolutionary about human relationships. His ministry and the apostles who followed broke the barriers of ethnic bigotry, sexism, and class stratification. Just one Bible quote, quote seems to be enough. Jesus commanded people, he commanded, not just suggested or encouraged, to, quote, love one another as you love yourself, end quote. That leaves no room for bigotry, discrimination, racial slurs, profiling by police, unjust laws, inequitable wages, voter suppression, or any other of the modern methods of oppression, period. On my personal pilgrimage, I learned more about racism when I went to college. 
While attending the Baptist College in Oklahoma, I learned of black students who were denied housing in a local apartment complex. I joined an effort to get signatures on a petition for the city council. What an experience! I discovered that many white folks didn't care to sign, and they wanted to teach me many new cuss words to describe my efforts. I'm grateful that my professors were courageous critics to expose the racist history of my denomination. In the mid-1970s, my wife taught in a racially diverse Fort Worth Middle School. The death of a black seventh grader allowed her to attend a long, emotional black funeral, sharing their grief in a way that she's never forgotten. It was ten years later that I became the pastor of a church in Lawton, Oklahoma, which is home to a huge army base. The church was integrated with several mixed-race couples, or, as we like to call them, quote, salt-and-pepper families. It was really a privilege to care for these families. All of them had grown up under racial inequality. In their minds, the army offered an integrated society, imperfect, I'm sure, but full of opportunities for people of color. I had just a glimpse of what the church should be, where all the children of God, no matter what the color of skin or national origin, could work together. Let me take a moment to talk about the Tracks for the Journey podcast. Today's episode is the final one for season number one. We've covered some great topics, like love, the serenity prayer, and resilience. I want to thank you for your time to listen, subscribe, and support. All the episodes are still available, and with a new feature. Now, the text of each episode is available for you to read and download. You can help spread the inspiration of Tracks for the Journey, the insights that we've shared with others, as you share this podcast link on your social media. Season 2 is definitely in the works, ready for to come your way in September. I hope you'll plan to join me as we explore new topics on your Tracks for the Journey. The matter of black lives is the issue for America in 2020. We cannot now ignore the legacy of racial injustice that has darkened American history for hundreds of years. Black lives do matter to God and to America. The phrase is a cry for centuries of injustice to be acknowledged and remedied. To rebut this shout with the idea that, quote, all lives matter, end quote, is to deny the unpleasant truth that black lives have not mattered for 400 years on American soil. The protesters who shout these words are not criminals or evil people seeking to overthrow America, as some leaders have said. Instead, they are prophets. Time Magazine's cover story in the June 22 issue headlined, quote, The Overdue Awakening, end quote. The cover article was written by Justin Warland, such a powerful article, and he expressed the issue so well. He wrote, quote, For all that's good about America, something is rotten. Centuries of racist policy, both explicit and implicit, have left black Americans in the dust, physically, emotionally, and economically. Today, more than 75% of Americans say discrimination is a big problem. The notion of systemic racism 
has been used by mainstream conservatives like former President George W. Bush, joining with moderate Democrats like Joe Biden in embracing the term to call for a national reckoning. Awakening can be painful, but in America, a reckoning is overdue. End quote. I think we must realize this reckoning also has to deal with ways in which women, Native Americans, Asians, Hispanics, and the gay transgendered community have been treated. Religious bigotry towards Jews, Muslims, Buddhists, Sikhs, and various sects of Christianity has certainly painted its own dark colors in our history. What is the origin of this hatred, division, injustice, and oppression? Christian theology faults the spiritual separation from the God of love that has seduced the goodness of each person towards pride, greed, and selfishness. Psychology adds the element of fear in each of us, where I see those who are different from me as a threat. Psychology also recognizes that our perceptions can be distorted with overgeneralizations, where the actions of a few brand all the others in our minds. The discipline of sociology directs our attention to the cultural mythology we absorb from the attitudes of the people around us as we grow up. In every culture and every age, the privileged have dealt shamefully with other human beings using actions that are born of fear, false theology, pride, and exclusion. The nine black students who marched through a crowd of 1,000 screaming whites in September 1957 persevered through the entire school year. Things did not change for them. Every day they were escorted by soldiers. They endured taunts, shunning, and hatred through that long year. But their courage brought a turning point for America. Today, the racist governor, Faubus, is now an embarrassment to the history of Arkansas. But in 1999, those nine students received the Congressional Gold Medal from President Clinton for their tremendous contribution to racial equality. Change starts with me and with you. It takes courage. We cannot imagine what kind of courage it took for those nine students and their families to persevere, but we can make those choices today. So let's get practical. What can the average white person do to promote equality now? Let's talk about it more after the break. Thanks for joining me today in this Tracks for the Journey episode. The matter of black lives is a bit of a personal look at this important topic that's going on in America today. Many ideas have been offered for actions that we can take to move forward on the equality promised by the Pledge of Allegiance. We know the familiar words as that pledge ends with, quote, with liberty and justice for all, end quote. In her powerful book entitled, So You Want to Talk About Race, black journalist and activist Ijeoma Oluo says whites must seek to understand the people of color near us. We must listen, read, and dialogue to hear the pain that racism inflicts, the opportunities it denies, and the souls that it crushes. Whites must own our participation in this issue to whatever extent we've been involved. Reading books, 
listening to programs, and even opening a conversation with a coworker are wonderful ways to find and listen to this important topic. Seeking understanding is foundational. But talk is not enough, Oluhu argues. Quote, Please talk and talk and talk some more, but also act. Act now because people are dying now in the unjust system. Act and talk and learn and F up and learn some more and act again and do better. End quote. Specifically, this activist and insightful writer, Oluo, advises some definite actions. Oluo pushes for very specific actions that each of us can do in our neighborhood. Vote local, she suggests, demanding candidates that make racial justice a top priority. Get in schools and hold them accountable for all students to have excellent and inclusive education. Bear witness and help when you encounter a person of color experiencing racist words or actions. Use economic power to support minority-owned businesses and boycott those that exploit minorities wherever that may take place. Donate to organizations fighting racism. Push local government for police reform to provide greater insight, improve service to the minority population, and in profiling. Oluo says so clearly these actions are the responsibility of every American, whoever and wherever you are. She says, quote, small actions add up, especially when you don't give up, end quote. I would add to her insights that a holistic view also includes prayer as a vital act of change. All faiths believe that prayer is a connection with God. Jesus taught specifically that we are to pray, quote, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, end quote. Prayer recognizes that God the source of all love and good, is engaged now in this very struggle. To seek justice, love, and dignity is to join the divine in a work of redemption. My own journey has had failures and some small successes. I did not understand the pain and injustice of a racially divided community while serving as a pastor, though I provoked many diverse events. I finally left that denomination as it grew more sexist and homophobic. I grew bolder when I served as a chaplain in a 3,000-employee health care system, working to promote diversity and equal employment practices for all races, genders, faith traditions, and orientations. I remember with pleasure assisting a well-respected gay man in the closing months of his life and officiating at his funeral service. It was attended by scores of employees to celebrate his life. Now, my counseling practice cares for persons of every race, ethnic group, and sexual orientation. I support my local church, which is an affirming and diverse group, partnering with other congregations across racial and sectarian lines. I know that I have a long way to go in taking action that will, in some way, help to build a just society. Yes, the matter of black lives is so important today. The matter of human lives and all our diversity is to live with dignity. This is a goal that all of us can embrace, no matter our backgrounds or experience. For me and my wife, we're choosing to take action now to build a society that honors God and our neighbor. Won't you join us? 
Season one of Tracks for the Journey has come to an end. Thank you for sharing all the episodes that you have. I appreciate your support, your subscribing, and those of you who have rated the podcast. I hope you'll stay around when we resume season number two in September. Several exciting topics are underway, and I believe you'll find practical insight and inspiration for your well-being. I'm Larry Payne, your podcast host. Tracks for the Journey is produced at Bright Star Studio on the high plains of West Texas, all rights reserved. Original music is provided by Howard Harper Barnes through Epidemic Music. The podcast is distributed by Buzzsprout. The podcast is distributed by Buzzsprout. Please visit the Facebook page, Tracks for the Journey, to learn more. I welcome you to follow the page and enter our discussions. If you liked what you heard today, subscribe to the podcast, share the link with a friend, and rate it. You can also reach me by email at the address trackspodcast at mail.com. So, keep making tracks on your journey to well-being, and we'll talk again soon.